Welcome to the Park Road Talkback Podcast for June 30th, 2020. Today's podcast is a conversation with Russ Dean, co-pastor at Park Road Baptist Church with Amy Jacks Dean. I'm Bruce Holliday, Director of Communications at Park Road, and today we will be asking a few follow-up questions into the topic of Russ Dean's sermon from this past Sunday. The sermon was entitled, First Person Singular and a Theology of Y'all. But before we get started, let me remind everyone, if you've not heard the sermon yet, you can find it at the Park Road website, parkroadbaptist.org, under the Resources tab. So with that, hello, Russ. How are you? Hey, Bruce. I'm doing great. How about you? So I understand that you're having a, a good week, that you uh, you have left the state. Yeah, vacationing with our boys down at Amelia Island, Florida. And uh, so we're having some nice, quiet beach time. There are a few other folks out, but all spread out on the beach. So, yeah, it's just been a nice, nice, relaxing couple of days so far. So let me let me drag you back into work then. We'll do a little, uh, yeah, sure. a little podcast. All right. Sounds great. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about this past Sunday's sermon and the context in which it was given? Yeah, Amy and I are enjoying a 20th summer at Park Road. And as we did 10 years ago, um, we never re-preach sermons, but 10 years ago we said, we're going to do a top 10. We're going to look back over a decade and re-preach 10 sermons. Um, had interesting response with that. And so, you know, we've got another decade's worth of sermons. And so we're going back and um, Amy and I went back and looked through our sermons and looked for themes that we have preached consistently um, highlights that are that are consistent with, you know, our own theology, but also with kind of the theology and the history of the church. And so each, uh, Amy and I have both chosen five sermons to re-preach. Um, and so this was one that I had, had remembered. I don't remember all of my sermons, um, but this one is one that I had remembered, I think is, is kind of an important concept, at least for our congregation. And so the, the, the title first person singular in a theology of y'all. Um, um, and, and so it was, it was an important one that I wanted to re-preach. Grammar is something that anyone who knows Russ Dean knows that you love grammar and definitions. And you started off talking about a critical distinction that needs to be made when people, you were reading some text from the book of Jeremiah, I believe. And yep. um, there were some references to you, uh, for example, uh, I have plans for you, or God's plans are to prosper you. But you had a different interpretation than someone who's casually reading that might have. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and I began, uh, hopefully people, you know, kind of enjoyed a little bit of the humor as I began talking about grammar. And my, both of my parents were English majors in college, and, you know, they just ground grammar into our head and subject-verb agreement and pronouns and, you know, proper grammar. And, and uh, so it was very common for us to talk about, you know, how do you say this sentence And uh, it, when I was growing up. And so I was trying to have a little bit of fun with that as, as I began the sermon. But then I said, you know, it really is important. You know, if if you don't know the Hebrew grammar here, it'd be very easy, very easy to misunderstand and to misinterpret the text from Jeremiah. Twenty six hundred years ago, the prophet was writing to the people and records the words, uh, speaks for God and says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. 
Um, and I, I've heard that text used multiple times um, with what would I would have to call prosperity gospel theology. You know, God wants to bless you. God wants to do good things for you. You know, Bruce, this is about you, and God has plans for you. Um, well, if you don't know the grammar, you could interpret it that way. But if you understand the Hebrew grammar, this is not the the second person singular. It, it, God doesn't say, I know the plans I have for you, Bruce Holiday, or you, Russ Dean. God says, I know the plans I have for you all. And so I, I, I translated that into my Southern vernacular. And what God says is, I know the plans I have for y'all. And so this is a corporate promise. This is a collective promise. And you can't understand that if you don't um, understand the, the Hebrew grammar. That it, that it is intended to be second-person plural, not second-person singular. Right, and you talk about the fact that in, in American culture in particular, the individual is celebrated. You said in theology and politics, we've made it all about the first-person singular. It's all about I, myself, and me. Yeah, and I, um, I, I, I tried to kind of make the point that... Um, there's a lot of what I called revivalism in our backgrounds in Southern religion um, and this idea of kind of the altar call and the preacher says, hey, brother, are you saved? And, you know, this is about you and your individual soul. And so as revivalism grew up in this country, uh, thinking about theology, meaning this is my personal relationship with God and that's what it's all about. That grew up side by side with an American ideology of individualism. Um, and, I, and I tried to say uh, in a short amount of time, both of those things are good. I mean, you know, the, the impetus behind that revival call is, you know, for you to take seriously your own spirituality. And so, you know, even though revivalism has been greatly abused, I would say, um, and, and that there's a lot that we could talk about that theology and, and, and take issue with that. But at the heart of that, that that's the theology I was raised with. And, um, you know, am I taking seriously my own individual spirituality? And that's a good thing. And as is an American, the American ideology of, you know, responsibility and freedom. And, you know, I can do, you know, kind of the sky's the limit. And that, that's the promise offered in the American dream. And so both the individualism of theology and the individualism of our American ideology are good things. But, and, and I said, they grew up together here in this country over the last, you know, three, three or 400 years. Um, but they can be abused. And so, so I was taking issue with the way that I think we have too uh, deeply emphasized individualism in both theology and in um, our American ideology, that it has just all become uh, about me. Um, and and you've actually, during the sermon, you called for perhaps another revival in something you called y'allism. Yeah, and, and again, kind of a play there. I, I talked about revivalism and, and that revival um, at, at atmosphere, which 
which many of our, our congregation would would be familiar with, even though we, we haven't done revivals uh, in, in our kind of Baptist churches for a long time. A lot of our folks would have w- would be able to relate to that kind of idea. And so that was a little bit of a play. You know, we need a new revival, but we need a revival that's bigger than just am I taking care of myself? And so I, I called it a revival of y'allism, um, where we could understand that properly understood, I think both American theology and American ideology, or both Christian theology and American ideology, call us to more than taking care of just me. Um, and I, I also said in the sermon, if this sounds like bad news to you, and I was thinking about people responding or reacting to sort of a critique, my, my critique or criticism of revivalism, that it's, that it's too much individualism. And I said, you know, if, if this sounds like bad news to you, <clears throat> it shouldn't. But if it sounds like bad news to you, I think it's just another uh, way of showing how much the, the individualism of our theology and our ideology have overtaken us. You know, to to say God's plans are for y'all, God's plans are for the people rather than than just me, that's that's not bad news. That's that's still good news. You know, if we believe God cares for the people, then I'm included in that. And yet, again, I think we are so individualistic in our hearing and, and the way we've been raised that, that to think Russ is saying, well, God doesn't want to bless you personally. Well, that's bad news. Well, I, that, shouldn't be, that shouldn't be heard as bad news, you know. And you, you mentioned uh, after uh, a Super Bowl win, a quarterback might come on television and, and give credit to God or Jesus for the victory. Yeah, and, um, and um, I can't remember, Bruce, I preached this sermon in 2014 in June, and uh, that year, I can't remember who won the Super Bowl, and I can't remember who the quarterback was, but I remember that the quarterback that year had gotten to, they his team won, and he thanked Jesus for winning the Super Bowl. And I just thought, you know, there's just the perfect example. You know, here's this highly um, materialistic, I mean, you know, the the Super Bowl is is kind of a caricature of the excess of our culture um, and sports and money and fame and, you know, just all of that with the Super Bowl. And here's a Super Bowl winning quarterback saying, Jesus gave, gave us this victory. And, I, you know, that just drives me kind of crazy. What about the other team? You know, where was God for the losing team? You know, um, and, and so, yeah, I made that point pretty strongly. You know, God didn't, God didn't give you the Super Bowl win. I don't care how strongly you think that. Um, and I just think that's a, a really fine point example of one person, one person claiming God's personal benefit. God, you know, Jesus gave me the Super Bowl win. Um, and I just, I just don't believe that's how God works. I don't think that's what our theology ought to teach us. That, that very much is a kind of prosperity gospel, I think, um, that God wants to bless you. 
Um, and, you know, very quickly, that kind of theology has been turned into, you know, the, the, the televangelist or the evangelist asking for your money and asking, you know, saying God's going to bless you if you just have enough faith. And I just think that's very problematic and very much an individualistic understanding of, of, of theology and, you know, religion in general. Mm-hmm. And along those lines, you said something that certainly... I'm sure made a lot of people sit up and listen a little bit harder when you said that all that money that you individually have in your savings account, your bank account, well, that might not be yours either. That might be um, God's resource, not yours. Yeah, so I I was saying, um, that was where I said, this shouldn't sound like bad news to you. The fact that God wants to bless the people Uh, You are part of that. And so that shouldn't sound like bad news to you. But if we take seriously the fact that I think our theology calls us to an understanding that is broader than just me, then there are some, you know, maybe disturbing implications. And to put that to again to a fine point, well, you start talking about people's money and you get their attention. And so, uh, um, you know, maybe all of that money in your bank account isn't just yours. And I said, um, um, you know, I I think as we listen to the Bible talk about money, the truth is there's not a lot of really uh, affirmative things that the Bible says about money. Jesus is pretty critical. The Bible's pretty critical about money and its corrosive effects. And, um, and, and, And the Bible is consistent about the blessings of God and that they come to us. And, and I said the Bible is very clear that all gifts are from God. Um, and, and yet, why would you be blessed financially? If you, if you want to say that's a gift from God, why would you be blessed financially? And I think, the, I think Scripture is pretty clear from start to finish that w- the reason we are blessed is in order to be a blessing. And so scripture uses the, the consistent language of stewardship. And so if I'm a steward of something, it, it's not mine to begin with. If I'm a steward of the house, I am taking care of the master's house, you know, the owner's house. And so if I'm a steward of someone's money, then I am taking care of someone else's money. And that's the, that's the context in, in which we hear about blessing, even financial blessing in, in scripture, is that we are stewards um, and I think that's a helpful way to think about our money, um, to think, well, I need to be a steward of this, and I need to be careful about the way I think about my money and the way I use my money, and, and, and uh, does it benefit? Is it really benefiting the world? Am I really being a steward of this uh, for, for, the, for the greater good? And you, you actually talked about the distinction also between things that are lawful and things that are beneficial. So it may be legal for me to accumulate a lot of money, but is that beneficial or am I using it in a, in a beneficial manner? Yeah. And I, I was quoting Paul writing, the apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And so, um, you know, trying to put that in context with an American ideology. Okay, so it, it's it's uh, my good fortune that I've you know made a lot of money. Um, I can do anything with my money I want to. Well, is that really 
is that really building up? You know, if I'm just buying three or four cars and three or four houses and, you know, so that's legal. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the biblical understanding of how we ought to use that. And so even though it's legal, um, that that's not um, that's not what's most instructive in terms of Scripture. It's not that it's legal. It's the question is, is it beneficial? Does it build up and does it build up the common good rather than just my own personal good? And you took the discussion about individualism one step further, and this I thought was very interesting. You talked about salvation, not as a personal experience, but as a, a communal concept. Um, that, that is, again, back to the earlier part of the sermon and this idea of revivalism. And, uh, you know, the pastor says, are you saved? And have you gotten your soul right with God? And, and uh, you know, that's, that's the way I was raised to think about salvation. It's, it's about me. Um, and yet if you go to the Old Testament, if you go to Scripture and you look at what the word salvation means and where it comes from, um, it, it comes from the language of God choosing the people of Israel. And so God chose to save the nation. And so the uh, the, the beginning, the roots of this word salvation are not individualistic at all. And uh, again, with our kind of revivalism in, in Protestant theology, we've made it all about Bruce, are you saved? Russ, are you saved? Did you get your soul right with God? But there is a, there is a communal nature that is, the, that is the very beginning of the understanding of salvation. God wants to save the people as a collective whole. Um, and so I, I, I think um, maybe everybody didn't really hear all this, Bruce, in, in, in one sermon, but there's a lot to unpack here. Um, and again, I, I think I made reference, but only kind of a passing reference to the fact that many churches talk about evangelism, evangelical salvation, which is very, very individualistic. Um, and, you know, we, we want people to be responsible for themselves too, you know, and we want our children to have an experience and come and, you know, be baptized and join the church and, you know, have those moments when I, when they've, you know, taken some personal individual responsibility. So I, we believe in all of that, but I think the heart of gospel is bigger than that. And so I said, um, you know, a lot of churches talk about evangelism, evangelical individual salvation. We talk about social gospel, that what the gospel is about is not just saving your soul and your soul and your soul, but about transforming the society. Um, and again, so let's take that back to Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you as a people. I know the plans I have for you all. And if you all are prospered, then each individual within the you all is prospered. Um, you, you could hear this again. You, you, could, you could say, well, well, God has a plan for you, Bruce, and for you, Russ, and for you, Amy, and for you, Denise, and for you, Sarah. You know, but those are still individual plans. Um, and I think there is something different going on here. And I think this is God's calling to a corporate understanding. I know the plans I have for y'all as a whole, as a people, as a nation. Uh, um, 
and so I think there's a pretty dramatic difference in what I hear and what many of us were raised with, that salvation really is about the good of um, the collective whole. I've often thought that uh, this sense of individualism, things like capitalism, which is lionized in our culture, uh, really is about winners and losers. It seems to me that we, there is opportunity for people. And I think, obviously, some people have a lot more opportunity this, than others. But at the end of the day, we are going to have people who succeed and people who fail in, in, this, in our culture. And you talked a little bit about the concept of, I think it was communitarianism, um, is that something that you think addresses the, the inequalities that are sometimes engendered in our culture? I, I used in the, at the very end, my, my friend Ken Godwin, who died a couple of years ago. Ken was a public policy professor and uh, very, very academic. And I used to hear Ken talk about communitarianism. Um, and I tried to make reference that for Ken, that's a very specific academic word. It, it has to do with a specific response to the philosophy of John Rawls. And so I said, you know, I don't know that I'm using the word communitarian. And it's a word that's kind of entered my, my vocabulary. I like to talk about um, us being a communitarian people. We ought to have a communitarian attitude. I, I don't know that in a very technical academic sense, I'm referring to that the way that Ken says it entered academia. But what I mean by that is we ought to have a bigger vision than just me. And capitalism does have a sense of benefiting some people greatly and, and also um, crushing some others. Um, and, and so, uh, uh, you know, this, this goes back a lot to my sermon, my last sermon, that had to do with politics and, uh, and Christianity and how does our faith impact our politics. And I think it ought to give us... Um, a belief that our systems ought to benefit the collective whole. And that ought to have to do with, you know, tax policy and policing and, um, you know, all of our economic structures. And um, are we, are we building into our system a way to benefit the whole or are we just allowing individuals the right to their own individual freedom. And, and actually, I, th I think that's where we are right now in this culture. And, and we celebrate the fact that, you know, Bill Gates is a billionaire and, you know, Jeff Bezos is, I heard the other day that uh, um, if you had a choice between taking Jeff Bezos net worth today or $187,000 a day for every day since Jesus lived, which would you choose? Um, and you, you ought to choose Jeff Bezos' salary today is more than $187,000 a day for 2,000 years. Now, that's just, that happens in capitalism. That's lawful in capitalism. I just kind of think maybe that's sinful. That's just, oh my gosh, it's just obsessive, the the. Uh, the wealth that one person can have, and yet one in four school children in this country is on free and reduced lunch. What an obscenity that is. And I just think Jesus, 
I kind of think Jesus would have a problem with that, you know. And, and so th- those are the kind of ideas. And I get in trouble, Bruce, you know, when I when I talk about this, because we've got, you know, folks who just love the capitalistic system and just love democracy and love the way we do it. And, well, Jeff Bezos made his money and he deserves it. Well, yeah, yeah, in capitalism he does. But is that what we ought to be holding up as the greatest model? Maybe we ought to try to be finding a way to build more of a communitarian um, philosophy into our structure where rather than one man having $110 billion or whatever it is that he has, everybody had you know, had a, a, a means to take care of themselves. And wouldn't we all actually be better off if everyone um, ha- had the means of taking care of themselves and their children and people didn't grow up in this country in poverty? And um, so that that's what I mean by communitarianism. That uh, and, and that ties to my understanding of a social gospel and to a view of salvation that is greater than just my individual soul. And I've led you down this path uh, where a lot of people would immediately start thinking socialism and communism, and they'd come back to you with examples of Venezuela and Russia and and other countries that individual freedoms and opportunity are greatly reduced. But that's not really what you're talking about. This This is a different concept, I believe. Yeah, and I said I said in the sermon somewhere. Uh, oh, right here. One visit to Cuba will make you recognize the dehumanizing effects of socialized everything. So I am not a communist. It, it, it's like that quote from two, my sermon two weeks ago. The the bishop from a South American country who said, "When I feed the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why they are poor, they call me a communist." So you know, anytime I start talking about ideas that even implicitly kind of challenge the the way things are. Um, I have some people who will say that's just that's socialism, you know, that's communism. No, no, I'm I'm I believe in I believe in capitalism. I believe in the free market system. But I, I think we've got to have a communitarian kind of idea about that. Um, and I, I don't believe in a in a completely unfettered free market because I think inevitably that will benefit some at the expense of others. And so I, I'm I think we've got to find a way to think of our system um, beyond just um, the potential to benefit a few individuals greatly um, while leaving so many others behind. And I think that's I think that's completely possible. I, I think it would have. It, it would have to do with some visionary ideas about changing tax policies and economic structures and systems that that I personally uh, uh, w- would not be the person to to tell you how to make that uh, happen. Um, I don't know enough about economics, but I, I I believe it is possible to build in a kind of communitarian ethic with a capitalistic system where we could benefit um, the whole in, in a better way than we, than we are doing. Exactly. Well, I'm going to wrap this up and kind of feed the grammar nerd in Russ Dean. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to talk to, uh, to us a little bit about the 
use of the word eyes. Oh, <laughs> I think that's I think that's something that uh, that bothers you quite well, a bit. Yeah, they, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a platform to <laughs> to make your case for not using the word eyes. Yeah, uh, I, that that was the the beginning, and I was I, I hope people understand that I'm having a little bit of fun. But it is one of my pet peeves, and I, I said it's the pettest my my pettest of peeves lately to hear educated people use the word eyes. And I don't mean two eyes in my head. I mean, I as a possessive. Um, and I said, I, I've never heard anybody say I's truck is out on the road, but I've heard a lot of people say Amy and I's house needs to be repainted. And I'm thinking I's house, please don't ever say that. It's not a word. It's not appropriate anytime ever. Don't ever say Amy and I's house, Amy and I's car. Um, it's my house. So it's Amy and my house. So there you go. Right. There you go. So there's your grammar public service thank announcement you so for this week from Russ Teen. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Russ. This is uh, it's always fascinating to talk to you about this in a little bit more detail and, and hear your thoughts on a lot of really important matters. Thanks, Bruce. I always enjoyed the conversation with you. And of course, thank you to our listeners. We invite you to share this podcast with your friends and family. You can always find it on the Park Road website. Uh, under our resources tab, or you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Thank you again for listening today. Grace and peace to you.